Hello, and welcome to episode 81 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. And this week, we are going to cover true crime and paranormal from the state of Virginia. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited to tell you about mine. I'm so pumped to share mine. Oh, good. And by the way, we are not doing this virtually. We are together. So... (laughs) That adds to the fun of this. I get to be with my daughter. So anyway, what do you have? Oh, shucks, mom. (laughs) And good news from me, mom, before I introduce the cocktail, is that you only have this and two other episodes left of Drinking Alone. That's right. (laughs) Because by the beginning of November, the first of November, I guess we're coming back, you'll be able to drink. Yes. So just a reminder, we will be going on a little hiatus for the months of September and October, so I can get my bearings on three little ones here at home. But if you're just going to die without us, <laughs> you can join our Patreon, which the link is in the description of this episode, where we will continue to release episodes, little snippets, kind of keep up to date with everybody. So join us there if you don't want to miss a thing. There you go. Five buckaroos, and I've got some good ideas of things that I'm going to share with y'all. I know, she's so jazzed. But today, for this episode... Today, this episode... episode, On today's episode of Killer Hangover, episode 81, you are drinking... What am I drinking? It looks like another milky thing. (laughs) It is! (laughs) It's kind of similar to the last milky thing I made you. It looks exactly like that milky (laughs) thing. Are you sure it's not the same thing? It's not. But what I will say is that I had to do this and I'm not going to tell you. Okay, so I will tell you the name of it. I will tell you what's in it. But that's as far as it's going to go because the rest of it is in my paranormal story. Okay. Of why it got its name, where it's from, and all that fun stuff. Okay. Okay. So You are drinking the ghost cat. (laughs) (laughs) Mike Palmer, did you hear that? (laughs) Yes, this cocktail is called the ghost cat. Oh, it's quite delicious. Okay, so it's from a place that I'm going to be covering. So I couldn't get the like the exact measurements on stuff okay so Alex and I kind of played around with I obviously couldn't try it but he was kind of my taste tester and do I need to add a little more of this or a little more of that but from the website it is shaken not stirred bourbon cream black walnut bitters vanilla syrup and grated nutmeg that's what it is I'm tasting the the almond bitters (laughs) The black walnut bitters. Oh, yeah. It tastes kind of like walnut or almond too. Um, yeah. that has, it, I was trying to figure out what the taste was in the back of my mouth. It is that. I didn't even know they made that. I didn't either. So I had to go to the big liquor store to get it. <laughs> but this is the measurements that we kind of came up with. Okay. So we just did one ounce of bourbon. We did two ounces of the cream, but I actually did an ounce of cream and then a ounce of half and half to not make it so creamy Mm -hmm. i think the last problem with the last cocktail we did similar to this one is that it wasn't sweet and i think that cream because cream's not sweet right and it it tastes a little lighter because Mm -hmm. you did that yeah and then uh the black walnut bitters i just kind of did a couple splashes of that in that that is good and then vanilla syrup again just a little dollop of it i guess that's not a proper measurement but just a little dollop splash yes a little splash and then the grated nutmeg on top nice but i shook it all up in ice poured in a glass it's not a very large glass by any means but i think it'll do the job the job of what (laughs) what What alcohol should do i don't know relaxing i don't (laughs) okay do the job of alcohol it is it is quite delicious good well i'm very happy you're enjoying it yeah and we'll go more into the ghost cat later okay remember the pictures of the ghost cat that mike palmer sent yes i do (laughs) that's the reference to him 
Okay. A I, ghost cat always seems to make its way into our episodes. Weirdly. It does. And so maybe this is just, I'll have to try it one day, this cocktail, and it might become one of our signature drinks. <laughs> <laughs> that and Chandon, since you can't seem to get away from it. <laughs> okay. Moving on. Bring us down. Yeah, pretty much. But I'm going to warn you right now. I have more questions than answers. And I'm going to throw the questions. No, I had another one of those. Yep. I'm going to throw the questions out to you and the listeners because this is a cold case. Oh, this is the case I'm going to solve. I already know it. This is it. Or it could be four cold cases. One of them. I got it. (laughs) Yikes. And I'm going to throw different things at you. Here we go. Killings and body dumps along highways. It's not very common, but... It does happen. There have been something like 750 bodies found along highways. That's it? <laughs> I thought that was a pretty big I number. I mean, what's like the time frame? Uh, I don't know. I looked for that and I couldn't find it. Okay. They just so if it's like 750 in like a that. year, I was like, wow. But if it's 750 in, in the last, <laughs> 750 in the last like 10 years, I'd be like, that's it? Really? Yeah, it was probably more like 10 years. Interesting. I still think, I mean, that's a lot. I know we have a lot of highways, but still, geez, I hope I never come upon a body on the highway. Ditto. And these are just some of those highway murders. In 1988, New Bedford highway killer who killed 11 victims along Route I-40, Interstate 195, and Route 88. Killer is unknown. 1992, closer to home, we had the I-70 killer who killed six store clerks across three states. Killer, unknown. Wasn't that who they think Herb Baumeister was, though? Perhaps, but it's never been... Right, that's never been proven. And then you have the killing fields. I think we both have heard about the killing fields. It's the 50-mile stretch along I-45 from Houston to Galveston. Since the early 1970s, at least 42 bodies of young women have been found. Killer or killers? Unknown. In 2004, the FBI actually started the Highway Serial Killing Initiative. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) To take care of these highway murders. All right. Okay, so that's just a little trivia, and it is a lead into this week's true crime. I'm going to cover the Colonial Parkway murders. You've heard of them, correct? Mm -hmm. I have. The Colonial Parkway is a 23-mile long road, part of which runs through the Colonial Historic National Park and along the York River. In the daytime, it is a beautiful scenic road, but at night, it's kind of changes the atmosphere is totally different it becomes very dark and eerie what makes it even more eerie are the eight deaths that occurred within a four-year period and a 30-mile radius along this road i'm going to start by telling you a little about the victims and the crime scenes in october 1986 kathy thomas and becky dowski were parked off of the parkway in what was called lover's lane Kathy was 27. She had graduated from the Naval Academy and had been stationed at Norfolk, Virginia. During her time there, she was suspected of being a lesbian, and several agents began looking into her personal life. Kathy left the Navy before she could be charged because of her life choices. Luckily, that has changed. Thank goodness. That's ridiculous. She and Becky, who was 21 and a college student at this time, were a couple. They often met at this particular spot on Thursday nights. October 9th was no different until both women had been strangled and had their throats slashed. Kathy's injury to her neck was much more extensive than Becky's. The car was found on October 12th. Kathy's body was in the hatchback and Becky's was in the back seat. Kathy's wallet was on the floorboard in front of the driver's seat, open and face down. Remember that. The driver's side window was down. The FBI was called into the murder as it happened in the National Park. Unfortunately, there was nothing at the scene to lead them to a suspect. This was not a robbery. The women still had money in their wallets. It was not a sexual attack either. 
could this have been a hate crime? The women were known to come to this area on Thursdays. Was someone lying in wait for them? Was it more than one person? These two women were very athletic and physically fit. They would have fought back hard. Another factor was that the wounds were different in that Kathy's were much more drastic. Hmm. She was almost decapitated. Her cuts were so deep, but she hadn't exasperated any blood, meaning that the knife cut to her neck was post-mortem. Interesting. Becky's wound was not nearly as deep. So again, was this two attackers or was Kathy the target? Or did the killer get tired? That's got to be a lot of effort. Don't laugh at me. You're tired. I am tired, but... Kathy's wounds seem to be more personal, which leads to the question, did she know the attacker? Was money, drugs, romance, or sexuality the motivator in this crime? Wrong place, wrong time. That could be too. To add to all the questions was the fact that it looked like the murderer had tried to push the car into the river. When that failed, he tried to burn the car, but that failed also. Again, more questions than answers. Hmm. A year later, in that case, still cold, okay, so a year later, September 1987, a truck was found parked in a secluded spot about 30 miles from the first crime scene. The driver's door stood wide open, the radio was playing, and the wipers were on, and a wallet lay on the dashboard. There were also two pairs of shoes in the truck. The truck belonged to David Nobling, 20. His father was called to retrieve the truck. There was no connection made to the first crime, so there were no fingerprints taken from the truck. In fact, the truck wasn't even thoroughly looked at. Okay, so hold on. Understandably, there'd be no ties to one case and the other. But if you find a truck with the door wide open... If you find a truck with all of these weird things in it, you wouldn't fingerprint it? If you just find an abandoned truck, is it normal to just bring it in? Or to call the father of the owner i mean like hello your son's truck was found here the door is wide open the radio is playing his wallet is on the dash and the shoes are on the floorboard obviously somebody else was with him but we're not going to worry about it we're just going to hand the truck over to you i understand they have a lot of work to do and i don't know i thought it was a really but remember this is 1987 so the police were not concerned But David's parents sure were. They knew that their son, who loved that truck, would never just leave it in a secluded spot with a door wide open. Hmm. David's father started searching the area. But David hadn't been alone. Robin Edwards, 14, was also missing. David had chaperoned her and his cousin when they went out that Saturday night. Sunday, Robin's family reported her missing. On Monday, police brought one of the pairs of shoes found in the truck to the house, and they identified him as Robbins. So now authorities are out searching for the couple. On Tuesday, so this happened on Saturday night, Mm -hmm. Sunday morning. On Tuesday, the bodies of David and Robin washed ashore on the James River at the Ragged Island Wildlife Refuge, just a little ways away from where the truck had been found. The bodies were found face down and about 50 yards apart. Both had been shot in the back of the head, execution style. David, who was shirtless, had also been shot in his shoulder. Why were the two of them even out? David was a good kid. He had just gotten a new job. His girlfriend had just told him he was going to be a father, and he was very excited about that. He had, in fact, asked her to marry him and was waiting for her parents' consent. Robin was, mm, I think, more of a wild child. Her family described her as full of energy, adventurous, and she related better to older people, but she herself was very immature and reckless. From the timeline of that Saturday night and early Sunday morning, it was thought that maybe David and Robin had agreed to meet up later that night. So mm-hmm. after he dropped her off, she, they waited a while and then she snuck out. It did look like the couple had hastily dressed. David was shirtless and Robin's bra was found in the truck. Now here's a kick in the gut. Both sets of families found out about their child being dead and washed up on the shore through the evening news. No. Yeah. I hate hearing that in cases. Except for David's father. David's father never gave up searching, and he 
actually was there when they found the body. Mm. And he identified David right there on the beach. But the rest of the families, both Robbins and David's, found out through the news. Oh, my gosh. Okay, now we come to the questions. Was this crime related to the first at all? Were David and Robin in the wrong place at the wrong time? Was this crime committed by a, quote, moral enforcer? That's somebody who sees somebody going against his or her own morals. And, I mean, if the couple was making out and maybe he, you know. But that person would have to know who they were and know that he was cheating on a girlfriend or something. Uh, was it just somebody who saw a couple making out? And but they... if that's the case, why this couple? Because you stated that it was known as a local lover's lane. So there's got to be tons of people, couples right. that go up there. So why these couples? Was the killer evolving since the first killing? But the other two were slashed necks and these two were they shot were strangled. in the back of the head they were strangled and had their th necks their throats slashed that's the these first two couple were shot these so two were caught so i don't MO, even see any the ties was totally different besides the fact that no money was taken or anything like that and the wallet was up on the dashboard right which we can get back to that so i do have a question to add the couple was barefoot because their shoes were in the car so there were no marks on their feet, no drag marks and no like if they had they had to walk down a steep hill to get to the shoreline. OK, how did they get there? How did they get to the water? Unless they were going skinny dipping. But then they would leave their shoes in the car in the truck and walk down there. But And their feet would have had maybe nicks or cuts on them because it was quite dense where they walked, would have had to walk. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Why would they take their shoes off to walk down there? Doesn't make any sense. But it does take, okay, I I mean, I'm. it does make sense if they were getting ready to make out, they would take their, you know, so they could take other clothing off, they would take their shoes off. Okay. You see what I'm saying? So it's Sorry, like. Sorry, I was just. That's tied up on your wording because you're like, well, they're getting ready to make out. They have to take off their shoes. <laughs> well, they do. They want to remove their pants. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I got just... that. But I was like, well, I don't know. You're supposed to take off your shoes when you're making out. <laughs> Sorry, honey. <laughs> Excuse me. I got to take off my shoes. <laughs> okay. Back to Sorry. Was the crime <laughs> sorry for sure? Was the crime scene actually closer to the river, and then the truck was driven to the spot it was found? Remember, no fingerprints were taken, nor was the truck searched. But did the did the dad keep? If he was so diligently looking for his son, did he keep hold of the truck and then maybe have it searched after that? Or is that probably just not even a thought? Probably not even a thing. Bummer, dude. About six months later, April nineteen eighty eight. Cassandra, Sandy, Haley, she was 18, and Keith Call, 20, were reported missing. They had gone out on their first date that Saturday night. The couple was seen at a college party, but I'm not sure how well they really were hitting it off. Sandy was on one side of the room surrounded by guys. Okay, she was absolutely beautiful. Every picture she was in, she's absolutely beautiful. And Keith was on the other side of the room talking to a friend about getting back together with his girlfriend. Okay. So I'm not sure how well they their chemistry wasn't quite up there. Okay. Keith's last statement as he and Sandy left the party was that he was headed home. That was the last anyone saw them. The next morning, the park rangers found Keith's car. The door was ajar. Now, what they did next just totally blows my mind. The rangers went through the car, found the clothes, and took them out of the car along with whatever else. Then they realized that the car was only a mile from the first crime scene, so maybe this was a crime. So they threw the, clothes, the clothes back, back into in? the car, trying to place them where they had found them, and then called the police. <laughs> Investigators mm. found car keys still in the car, Sandy's purse on the car seat, the clothes, and men's boots on the floorboard in front of the driver's seat, one boot on the passenger side, and an open bush beer in the back. This time, things were taken more seriously. 
a Navy security unit combed through the woods, a helicopter flew overhead, and bloodhounds were used on land and on a boat. I didn't know that they could do that, but it's called air scent. Okay. The bloodhound is right in the front of the boat, and and his nose is just going, 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 and it's air. Wow. I think that's so cool. He's looking for an air scent. The bloodhounds did follow a scent to the wood line and then to the water's edge, but there was no clue as to where the couple was. And to this day, 33 years later, they still have not been found. Oh my gosh. Now there's all kinds of kinks in this one. Is there like, is it, is this dense forest? Like, not super. And it sounds like it's active if there's like a lover's lane. There's probably like hiking trails and there's a, I, I, it's a national park. And there's a road going through. So, yeah, there's trails and that's weird. Okay. So why were they even on the parkway? It was 30 miles from where the party was. Oh. Way out of the way. Sandy's house was close to where the party was. If they really did want to go make out, which it didn't, I mean, they weren't even interacting at the party. But if they did want to go make out, there would have been many places closer that they could have gone. And the spot the car was found at was not a make out spot. It was just a turnaround. <laughs> there was no sign there that said make out, no. make out crossing. It was just Please a turnaround um, very close to the road. Okay. So there's that. Keith liked the beach and the water, but he knew about the murders on Colonial Parkway and stayed away from the area. As for Sandy, she was actually afraid of the water and would never go close to it at night when there was total darkness. Mm. Maybe they didn't voluntarily go to the parkway. Maybe they were forced. Yeah, that doesn't sound... Maybe they were also forced to walk down to the water's edge, then made to strip, and their clothes taken back to the car, thus the scent that the bloodhounds... Or... Or... They were killed somewhere else, and the killer just drove and abandoned the car there. Yes, but then I'll have to throw in the bloodhounds. They did scent through the woods and to the shore. Yeah. I'll add here that not all of Sandy's clothes were found, but where are Sandy and Keith? They were definitely not the kind of kids that would decide to run away. Sandy was described by her family as being very generous and organized. She was going to college, had three jobs, and was teaching gymnastics. Keith was also attending college, studying computer programming. His family describes him as kind, funny, and loyal. This all makes absolutely no sense. Makes no sense that the two were even together after the party. So could they have been waylaid somewhere between the party and Sandy's house? Then forced to go to the parkway? And this case is different because it seems to have a sexual component where the other ones did not because the couple either took all their clothes off or were forced to take all their clothes off Hmm. and the others were not. Okay, last one. September 1989, Anna Marie Phelps, 18, and Daniel Lauer, 21, were reported missing. The last anyone had heard from them, they were headed to Virginia Beach. These two were not a couple. Anna Marie was actually dating Daniel's brother, and on the day they went missing, Daniel was in the process of helping Anna Marie move into the house on Virginia Beach where she was going to live with his brother. Okay. Lauer's car was found abandoned at the I-64 New Kent rest stop on the acceleration lane. What was really odd was that the car was on the westbound side of I-64. And the couple had been heading to Virginia Beach, which was eastbound on I-64. Okay. Now, I-64 intersects with Colonial Parkway. That's the tie to Colonial Parkway. Got it. Let me repeat that. The car was found on the opposite side of the road than it should have. Okay. Not parked in the uh, parking area, rest area, but parked on the side of the the acceleration ramp. Wow. Okay. Keys were in the ignition. There was plenty of gas in the car. Hung on the window were feathers with a roach clip. The car showed no signs of either drug use or drug dealing. What's a roach clip? It's this little metal clip that you attach to the end of a marijuana doobie. Okay. 
So you don't burn your fingers. And how do you know what that is? I looked it up. (laughs) Where did the clip come from? (laughs) Where did it come from, Mom? (laughs) Did the killer leave it to taunt the police? Six weeks later in October, hunters found the remains of two bodies. The bodies lay in a very remote area about 100 yards off of a logging trail, one to one and a half miles from where the car had been found at the rest stop. The skeletal remains lay side by side, covered by a blanket. The blanket had been moved a little by animals, but otherwise it looked like it had been tucked around the bodies. The remains were sent to the Smithsonian Institute, and there, after a very close look at the bones, searching for a cause of death, a small knife cut into the third finger bone of Anna Marie's finger was found. That's it? That's it. Could this that have been... kill you, though. Could this have been a defensive wound? Oh, okay. Nothing else was found on the bones. Now, there was... This was six weeks later in October. And out in the elements. Out in the elements. Sure. Animals. There wasn't much left. But... Their bones also aren't showing any shootings or anything nope. like that. Nope. 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 So could have been, been strangled. strangled. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So to add to the already long list of questions, I'm going to throw this one out. Are these murders those of a serial killer or three or four separate killers? My personal opinion is that they seem so different. They They do. Oxygen had a four-part series titled Lover's Lane Murders. Very interesting. Each series covered one of the Colonial Parkway murders. They're broken down by Maureen O'Connell, who is a former FBI special agent, and Lonnie Combs, who is a former prosecutor. They bring in a former FBI profiler, Jim Clementi, a forensic criminologist, Dr. Laura Peltler, and a former homicide detective, Steve Spigola, who worked all of the cases and has written a book, Predators on the Parkway. I found it very interesting as to the differences these professionals saw in each of the crime scene. So in the first scenario, the Kathy and Becky crime scene, the question is, was it one or two individuals that murdered these women, both of whom were very athletic and strong? So there is one way that one person, we're just going to say it, it's a man. One man could have overtaken these two women. And that is if it was a policeman or someone posing as a policeman. And they walked up to Kathy's. Kathy was a driver. Okay. Walked up to her and shined the flashlight into her side mirror. Okay. That would blind her. Sure. Okay. She wouldn't be able to see. Was her wallet, because her wallet was found on the floorboard open, but face right. down. Like she's trying Had she pulled her wallet open to give to that person. And then that person had said, okay, get out of the car, you know, and you stay in. And they're still thinking this is an authority, right? Okay. Out of the car, he takes her to the back of the car, handcuffs her, ties her hands. Both Becky and her, the wrist showed that they had been tied up. Okay. So she's in the back and maybe he even strangled her then. I don't know, of course, but... Then took Becky, same way, to the front of the car. So now the women are separated. Okay. Now, if their hands are tied, he could have strangled them. Right. Uh, The overkill, don't know about that much, you know, because it was definitely, for Kathy, it was definitely overkill. That was just a scenario that could have happened. But if that was the case, why was Kathy attacked so brutally? I mean, did he just get all his aggression out on her and oh, then yeah, I mean, wanted to also then slice Becky's throat? But his aggression had had come out, and so he didn't have much left. I yeah, don't... but he tried to get rid of that car. He tried to get rid of the evidence of that car, remember? But the other three, that wasn't mentioned. The cars were just left out in the open. And in the open. Yeah, it didn't matter. So that's weird. Yeah. Now, They're all killed differently. Kathy was found in the hatchback of the car. Right. And Becky was found in the back seat. So theirs seems a little more personal to me. It it does. I mean, I think even strangulation is is more personal than shooting or, you know. Yes. So, yeah. The second crime scene is then analyzed. The truck was found in a remote area close to the water. Okay, so we've got the water thing going. 
both cars were close to water. And David's wallet was on the dashboard. So maybe the law or somebody posing again. Again, that's similar. Okay. Yeah, I, I see the similarities. I'm going to throw something in here, though. Again. What? I don't know. If they're getting ready to make out, wouldn't he take his wallet out of his pants pocket? Yeah. And put it right where it was. Well, even if they weren't getting ready to make out, I feel like there's a lot of guys that take it out of their pocket and when put it sitting, right up on the dash down and put it right up on the dashboard. Sure. Nobody mentioned that, but I thought right away he could have just taken it out of his pocket and put it up there. But maybe, you know, maybe somebody posing as an officer or was mm-hmm. an officer um, did the same ploy. I don't know. But as we talked about, in this case, the method was completely different. The victims were shot. Could both of these cases be the result of a moral enforcer? How did the killer get the bodies into the river? Was it just chance that they washed up on shore? The third case is just a complete bafflement. Did the couple, who hardly spoke to each other at the party, decide to drive 30 minutes to the parkway to make out, and then choose a spot that wasn't even secluded, but was close to the road? That doesn't make sense at all well okay so they could have easily been seeing each other secretly like that's something that could have been happening so that's not like totally baffling to me but what is baffling is that they drive 30 minutes to go find a secluded place when i'm sure there's many other places well there were and this was not a secluded place it was she's afraid of the river and he knows about the past killing they both know about it doesn't want to go near there so it that situation feels like they were taken from wherever they were. I think so, too. And either driven out there or something. But again, it just doesn't feel like the same at all. It doesn't feel similar at all to the other two. And plus, there's like a year between all of these cases. Uh, this one was just uh, six months. Six months from the second. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it and then where are the bodies? If it was the same killer, did he learn? Yeah, from that's crime? weird. Did he learn from crime scene two where not to put the body so they'd, fl- you know, come up to shore? Because there could have been a similarity shore. there. They could have been attacked like the first couple or the second couple. And did. maybe they floated out to sea. Their bodies floated out to sea because that's where the river runs. Yeah, but you'd think somebody would... S- uh, I don't know. If the murderer intercepted the couple somewhere from the party to Sandy's house, did he have an accomplice who helped drive a second car? Mm. The forensic criminologist saw this more of a sexual crime since the couple's clothes were found in the car. But was it? Could the killer have forced them to take their clothes off to hide their identity? So we don't know how the couple was killed or where. But the car was found only a mile from the first scene. So, And then there's number four. The car is facing in the opposite direction to what the couple was driving. The roach clip on the window, which makes no sense. Then the bodies are in a very remote place. They would never have been found if it wasn't for hunters going through the woods. We don't know how they were killed. Maybe a knife because of the bone nick. But then the blanket that was tucked around the bodies. Why? Did the blanket have any blood on it? They never mentioned any. So that's something too. They never mentioned any. That makes me think that they they were strangled any on the clothes as well. Because then there's not. Like blood-soaked clothes or blood-soaked blanket or anything like that. Right. Uh, Dr. Laura Petler, the criminologist, suggests that the blanket shows emotionality, maybe remorse or maybe someone they knew. Okay. But I still don't see ties to the other three. I don't either. At all. What are the commonalities? One, the crimes happen at night. <laughs> Most do. <laughs> two, two, they were all white couples who looked to be in their 20s. The murders happened in or around the weekend or holidays. And four, cars were all found within a 30-mile radius along the Colonial Parkway. Yes, the MO is different, but could this be the result of the murderer escalating? But how so? Escalating, I would feel like you wouldn't be leaving a car really where everybody can see it. I think the escalation would be that the bodies were never found, right? Right. Well, that's why... You know, in the second one, the bodies had washed up. So did he learn from that? I see what you're and saying. Okay. Put the bodies so they'd float out. So Maureen O'Connell, the FBI agent, was convinced that the murderers were the result of a serial killer. 
Interesting. I just she was a secret. I mean, obviously agent. that's her profession, but I don't see any. Ties. Lonnie Combs, the prosecutor, was convinced that the murderers were not related to each other and were the result of different murderers. She stated the motives were all different: one, hate crime; two, moral enforcer; three, sexually motivated; four, personal connection. That and the methods were all different. The women looked at seven categories. We can go through them real fast. Location, all within 30 mile radius. Two, treatment of the bodies, all different, but wasn't an escalation. Method of killing, strangled, knife, gunshot, don't know, don't know, maybe a knife. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Time and date, night and weekends. Victimology, all young white couples. Interesting that all the passengers, they didn't mention this, but I thought it was interesting that all the passengers had dark hair. That probably doesn't mean anything. I'm just pointing it out. All the Not girls. Not everybody's Bundy, mom. All the, I know. That all the <laughs> girls in the passenger seat had short, dark hair. The same. Okay. Crime scene. Number one was the most brutal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the open wallet. The remote spot. Then number two, the truck door was also open. Wallet, radio on, wipers going. Bodies found in the water away from the car. Remote spot. Car door was ajar. That's the third one. Clothes were all in the back. It was not on a remote spot. And the last one, roach clip on the window, keys in the ignition, car found on the acceleration ramp of a rest stop, not remote again, and bodies found in an area away from the car. Now, you may have an idea as to why these murders are cold. (laughs) Yeah. There are many questions and very few answers. So, Beth. Yes, Mom. You already answered this. I was going to ask you, serial killer or different killers? Different killers. Personally, I think I'm leaning to different killers also. The differences in the crimes totally outweighs the commonalities. Yes. Listeners, let us know what you think and why. I'd love to hear your thoughts. There's so much, and I'd love to hear people's different thoughts on these crimes. Maybe two of them are connected. We have a few uh, law enforcement that listen to this podcast. I'd like to know your opinions. Definitely, because we're just... Because these people that are... This is their job. They say that this is the same killer. I just... I don't... Is there something we're not seeing? I, I don't know. I mean, initially, I thought it was the same killer. But the more I went through this and researched it, I'm like, I don't think so. I don't think so anymore. Hmm. Unless this person moved on outside of the Colonial Parkway. They did the, these four and then... And then moved. And they're progressing and trying different things in other places. Because there's obviously unsolved... Lover's Lane. Lover's Lane's couple cases out there. So Several, yeah. I don't know. That's weird. <laughs> okay. So dang it, I didn't solve it. But it is different <laughs> killers. That's four different <laughs> cases, Mom. I, I told you. <laughs> Four different cold cases or one. I don't know. It depends on what you the way you look at it. Aye, aye, aye. All right. Well, now you can enjoy your drink. Thank you. <laughs> it is time to lighten things up a little bit and talk some spooky, ooky ghosties. All right. So for this week's haunting, we are heading to the beach. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Mouthful of drink. Mm. <laughs> Virginia Beach. And the Haunted Cavalier Hotel. Nice. All right. I know I've said this in many episodes, but I really want to go here now. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about stepping back in time. And I know I've said that too. (laughs) But seriously, it's like stepping back into the 1930s. And it feels like the 1930s. So there was a remodel done to it. Right. So it's all brand new stuff, but it's made to look like the 1930s. Uh, right, right. Okay. Those other hotels or those other inns I've talked about, it's older. Like you mm-hmm. feel like you're, you know, not necessarily, it's older. It's older. Yeah. This feels new, but it looks like the 30s. Right. So you really do feel like you're walking back in time. Interesting. Okay. The hotel was built in 1927 as one of the most luxurious oceanfront hotels. So it's not like right on the beach but it's up on a hill overlooking the ocean Ooh, okay 
did I mention how gorgeous this place is? It's gorgeous. (laughs) It's up on this hill surrounded by all these old Virginia homes with their white columns. I think this... Right down your lane. Yeah, I think this was the time period I lived in in another life. (laughs) Like, do you have a time period that calls to you? Like, do you have a time period that really, like, that you like? No? Oh, I would say... I don't know, the 1800s with the plague. What? (laughs) The plague calls to you? I'm just kidding. Okay, that went dark. (laughs) I think the 60s, 50s and 60s. Late roach clip? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) No, I'm thinking bewitched. (laughs) That's like the 50s, I think. Well, late 50s, beginning 60s. It's like I Dream a Genie. Yeah. Okay, I'm not judging. That's fine. I'm so judging. I'm not. I like the 30s and I still like listen to that kind of music. Like Alex, when we got our new car, you get serious, you know, in Mm -hmm. your car for six months or whatever. You get serious in your car. (laughs) We get serious in our car. (laughs) Take your shoes off. (laughs) (laughs) That's why we're having three kids. Um, Gross, mom. No. I get that serious XM radio and every time Alex would get in the car, he's he's like, what are you, an old lady? Why are you listening to this? Because I'd listen to like 40s Junction and stuff like that. Oh, that Frank do you like Sinatra. the big, big band? Yeah, I like the big band music. Oh, you I do? I love it. Yeah, I love Frank. So I just listen to a lot of swing Frank. music like Billie Holiday, like just all that stuff. I just I love it. Okay. Okay. Anyway, that's just totally off topic. I've totally lost my place in my notes now. Okay, so this place was built in 1927. It took over half a million bricks to build. Ooh. According to one of my sources, that is the largest amount of bricks used on a single building in the state of Virginia. Oh. The fancy hotel ushered in guests from steamers and trains in the area. Very prestigious guests, might I add. There was, well, is a huge golf course on the property. 290 acres of golf course, actually. This doesn't mean anything to me, but <laughs> maybe maybe it means something to some of our listeners. But some of the holes were modeled after the Scottish golf holes of North Berwisk, St. Andrews, and the Fox Chapel Golf Club in Chicago. Oh, my gosh. Really? <laughs> the hotel offered huge gardens. Actually, it still does. It's huge gardens with beautiful flowers, a stunning lobby, and different dining options. How is your ghost cat tasting, Mom? Delish. Good. So this is a cocktail from the Raleigh Room at the Cavalier, one of the dining options there. I promise to tell you the story behind the name of it, although I bet you have an idea. Okay, so prestigious guests. Besides 10 different presidents... Mm. There was Judy Garland, Muhammad Ali, Betty Davis, Elizabeth Taylor, Benny Goodman, Doris Day, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Will Rogers, Frank Sinatra, Bob Hope, Bing Crosby, Fatty Arbuckle, just to name a few. (laughs) So listen to these amenities of the hotel back in the day. Okay. okay? Bathtubs. There was an extra handle to have a seawater bath. It would draw water from the sea. Oh, my gosh. Are there benefits to that, though? A salt salt water bath. Are there benefits? Then you'd have to clean yourself afterwards because you have all that salt. And sand. Wouldn't sand? I mean, it has to travel with sand. Sand sand doesn't come in it. But salt, you'd still have to shower afterwards. There was a... uh, Each bathroom sink had an ice bucket spigot that came from the ice water filled tub on the roof. Oh, what is the necessity of that, though? To get cold water. Ice cold water. Yeah, to drink. There was a glamorous indoor pool. It still is. It's been updated and it just so gorgeous. Anyway, the glamorous indoor pool, which actually had filtered seawater from the Atlantic Ocean in it until the 70s. Oh, my goodness. Again, I don't really see... Well, what's interesting is a lot of pools now have Our salt water. water. Or salt water, yeah. Or not seawater. They're salt water. <laughs> They're salt water pools. They 
we've let the chlorine gone to uh, salt water pools now. Yeah. So, so there has to be some kind of a benefit to it because well, it's a very less, bougie hotel. has less chemicals and you float. <laughs> you don't float in other water? You're more buoyant. Buoyant. <laughs> boy, boy, boy. Moving on. The hotel also had offices for a doctor, photographer, and stockbroker with a live ticker tape from the New York <laughs> Stock Exchange. Oh this place is really bougie. The lower lobby had boutiques and shops, an ice cream parlor, a hair salon, and clothing retailers. The hotel also included a broadcast center for radio station WSEA. Nice. In 1929, my favorite part of the hotel was added. The Beach Club. This open area where they danced to music by Sinatra, Benny Goodman, Cab Calloway, and Glenn Miller. Nice. And then all the fun stopped during World War II. Mm -hmm. The Navy took over the hotel as a radar training center. There were so many soldiers living there. Uh, they even had to like live in the barn. There was just oh. a lot of them. And after that, the hotel was kind of left a total mess. They were actually going to demolish the building. But like I said, they did a total, total reconstruction. And that was done in 2012 by the Cavalier Associates. They stepped up. They took over and brought the Cavalier to its old glory. Man, what a work of Literally, it's love. all new. But like I said, it looks yeah. like it's from that time period. It's just, it's gorgeous. The indoor pool was totally redone. We'll post pictures, but just go to their website. It just... Okay, anyway. And the old beach club is still open and has a large pool overlooking the ocean with an open air beach bar. I want to go so badly. If any of you have <laughs> been, let me know. The hotel has 85 rooms now, four restaurants, one of them being the Raleigh Room that I mentioned, which is a grand salon with like these high back velvet chairs. And oh, wow. Okay. It's gorgeous. It has live entertainment and cocktails in the evening. They have the Becca in the old sunroom for breakfast and brunch. They have the Tarnished Truth Distillery in the basement of the historic Cavalier. It shares the basement with the spa, the fitness center, and the rustic tavern, which sounds like a basement I actually do want to be in, <laughs> besides the fitness center. I mean, <laughs> that's scary in itself. We can go to the distillery and then go to the spa and then go to the rustic tavern. The rustic tavern is called the Hunt Room. Imagine a tavern with burning fireplaces. You have handcrafted oh my gosh, really? beers and cocktails. Yes. Now, the Hunt Room used to be a favorite hangout of Richard Nixon in the 70s. He was a very frequent guest to the hotel and very much loved the Hunt Room. Regardless of the weather, it is said that he always requested a fire to be burning and would spend a lot of time there. Hmm. Legend has it that it was in that very fireplace where Nixon burned 18 minutes of the missing Nixon tapes. Oh, Interesting. Another weird president story was that JFK stayed at the Cavalier days before he died. Hmm. Hmm. Another story of the Cavalier <laughs> is that Adolf Coors. Yes, you heard that right. Coors. She was like, she just made you drink it. Coors. Ooh. <laughs> anyway, he was staying in the suite on the sixth floor. He's the founder of Coors, mm -hmm. by the way. Um, he was staying in the suite on the sixth floor with his daughter and his wife. They were sitting down for breakfast when Adolf randomly got up, walked to the other side of the suite, went and looked out the window, and jumped to his death. Now, there's a mystery aspect to all of this. The room he jumped from's door was locked from the inside. Okay, that's not terribly mysterious. If he was going to jump, he might have locked it before he jumped. Okay. But the window was also locked from the inside. The window that he jumped out mm -hmm. of? But he lay dead on the bricks below. Huh? Here's another kicker. No autopsy was done. I'm still in the befuddlement of how the door got locked and the window got locked. And the New York Times reported it as a heart attack. Well, his heart did give out after and this, a time. You know, and this was during a time where suicide was like, mm-mm, we don't talk about that. That was wrong, but it's just very mysterious to me. Interesting. 
You know what's weird? There was another course, whether it was his grandson or whatever, who also died mysteriously. Really? Yeah, they found his they found his car with the door open. Here we go oh again. Oh my gosh. And he was missing. I don't I don't remember if they found his body or not, but yeah, it was also very mysterious. Hmm. Well, Adolf, I think it was right before, during, after uh, prohibition. So, he was kind of like, what am I going to do with myself? But it just all seems very weird to me. No, you can't even put those two, the window and the door together. Okay, so for the longest time, room 606 was not allowed to have any guests in it. Really? And that's the room he jumped from. Like, for the longest time. They wouldn't let anyone stay in that room because of the odd things and noises that came from that room. Oh. So the hotel would shut down most rooms in the winter months. Makes I don't know sense. if they still do, but they did. I mean, although they're on the beach, it snows there. Oh. Which is just... I bet it's beautiful. The best of both worlds to me. Mm. Honey, pack your bags. But the lobby and some of the restaurants will remain open for people oh. to come and yeah. eat and, and, you know, cocktail. <laughs> and cocktail. <laughs> but without fail, the front desk would get calls from 606 all the time. And there would either be nothing but silence on the other end or the faint sound of old jazz playing. What? But in the suite where Mr. Coors jumped from or what have you, maybe he was murdered. I don't know. But the chandelier still sways. Huh? Yeah. Things in the room will be moved and the TV turns on and off. Coors is also seen on the grounds of the property walking in the woods. Mm-hmm. There was a couple that stayed in room 606 a couple years ago. He's some kind of YouTube guy. I, I honestly, I'm sorry. I don't. He's a social media influencer, I think. I don't know. I'm kind of at that age where I know about that stuff, but I don't know who some of these people are. <laughs> um, but the video on YouTube is titled Haunted Hotel with Footage, the Cavalier in Virginia Beach. Now, he's not a ghost hunter. He's never done an investigation before, and this was his first, and he actually claims it's going to be his last because he oh, was so really? spooked. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't believe in ghosts. He believes in angels and demons, and he's like, this this in-between stuff really bothered him. So Interesting. Okay. But he did a spirit box session mm-hmm. while he was there. You know that <laughs> one I don't box like, yes. that he just loves so much? But I'm not going to go over the whole video or anything, but I'm just going to go over the snippet that was really interesting because... Again, he's not a ghost hunter. He's not done this before. And it's really clear it comes over the box. He asks, what is your name? And the box comes back and says, president. Now, 10 presidents have stayed there. This is one of, I think, only two or three suites. So it would have made sense that a president, president would have stayed, stayed there. there. Right. And he's like, did you just say president? And you hear, mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and then... I don't know why, but they asked, are you scared? <laughs> and the box came back and said, people die. Oh. And they said, was anybody murdered in this room? And it came back and it said, one guy. <gasps> Weird. One guy? Oh, man. So I wonder if Mr. Adolf Coors was murdered. Yeah, there's no way he could close the window behind him. Yeah, that's weird to me. I thought the whole thing was so bizarre. Some resources even claim that there was another death on the sixth floor. One of the owners shot himself in one of the rooms. Again, this could just be a rumor. I couldn't find any fact behind this one. I didn't see any news articles or anything like that. It could just be a rumor. But the sixth floor itself is said to carry this really odd feeling. Many things I read couldn't put a name or a word to it, just that it felt really eerie in that hallway. The hallway is long. There are no windows. And it gives off kind of like that feeling of the shining. Yeah, that's where my mind was. (laughs) Yes. And that's what everybody kind of reported is like there's I cannot put a finger on why it spooks me to be on the sixth floor. That's kind of like what everybody said. And I guess there is a bellhop ghost on the stairs between the fifth and the sixth floor to warn you of the darkness on the sixth floor. He apparently stands on the landing to warn people, hey, there's ghosts up there. Which I find really funny since he is a ghost. (laughs) But poor guy doesn't know it. Thanks, dude. (laughs) In the lobby, a woman is seen walking into the woman's bathroom with a doggy. 
And I don't know why I loved that so much. I'm picturing this like shorter, like bustier woman with like a hat and a feather sticking out of it, carrying her little ugly dog into the bathroom with her. I don't know why I'm picturing that, but <laughs> it was never described. It was just a woman walking into the woman's bathroom. And that's a spirit also? With a dog. Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. Here's a common thing I read about the hotel, but I've never heard about this kind of haunting before. It's very weird. The bath towels hanging in the guest rooms change colors. <laughs> yeah, they get dirty after a while. <laughs> no, like even for the maids, they hang the towels, they go refill the soap or whatever, and the towels are a different color when they look back. Oh, it's like those lights that change colors that I like so much. Mom, we're talking about towels. I know. That would be so cool, though. No, that'd be weird. <laughs> Guests report this, too. Like, what the heck? A towel of a different color? Like... A horse of a different color. Exactly. What a... <laughs> what a just a weird haunting phenomenon. Yeah, white towel. White towel. Like, what a weird thing. That's a really clever spirit who's like, I'm going to screw with them. I want to know how he does it. Uh, <laughs> That is so bizarre. I, I read it in like all the resources for the Haunted Cavalier, like the towels change colors. You're like, what? <laughs> oh my god! And it's like nonchalantly thrown out there. Yeah. Honey, I swore these towels were <laughs> were white. Now they're yellow. Oh, I, I don't even know were... if it's that. I think it's like green and then they're purple. Weird. A comment on the YouTube video Haunted Places, the Cavalier Hotel by Laced Lacey Leanne said, Girl, I worked there in 2018. Very haunted. And glass breaks daily in the bars. Aww. Ask anyone who's worked there. And, and I was just like, oh my gosh, see? More glasses breaking. I mean, this must be a ghost thing that they just want to break. They can't enjoy the cocktail, so they're just going to break the glass. Uh. Like, <laughs> Okay, so I guess the elevators go up and down and open on their own a lot. Soldiers are seen throughout the hotel. Mm. Talking about bars, are you still enjoying your ghost cat? It's done. Well, the cocktail got its name from, yes, you guessed it, another ghost, ghost cat. cat. <laughs> now, this is the most famous ghost story of the Cavalier Hotel. Back in the days when the hotel first opened, a little girl had her cat with her. The cat apparently escaped and the little girl was chasing it all over the hotel trying to catch it. Cat ran into the indoor pool, and the little girl chasing after it drowned, the cat drowning as well. Oh, that's horrible. Now, from what I could find, the hotel did not claim to be animal-friendly. Like, today, it's not an animal-friendly hotel. Meaning, you cannot bring your dog or your cat to the hotel. So why are there little wet cat footprints found around the pool? The pool? Splashing is heard in the pool when no one is in there. And some resources claim a little girl will come up to guests and say, have you seen my cat? And then she disappears. Golly. Guests complain of scratching and meowing at their doors. And mm -hmm. meowing is in general is heard coming from the halls. And again, no cats are allowed in the hotel. And again, I find another place I want to go to with a dang cat, cat. spirit. <laughs> that is so fascinating, though. That's so fascinating. It makes me, I mean. I'm sorry. I'm just pointing this out here again. I think we've called it out before, but there's like no, very rarely have we found a haunted dog story. Except the lady was carrying a dog going into the bathroom. It was residual. She really liked that bathroom. <laughs> but of course, a cat leaves a little soul behind to haunt. Always. <laughs> And that's what I got for you for the Cavalier. Nice. When I saw that it had a cocktail called the Ghost Cat, I was like, even if this place is not that haunted, I'm still covering it. <laughs> it sounds to me. <laughs> but like it sounds to me it it's is very over haunted. the top. Yes. Just a lot of really cool history. Right. Huh. I'm very anxious to see pictures of it now. It's gorgeous. Did I mention it's gorgeous? It's gorgeous. No, I don't think you mentioned that. <sighs> All right. Next week, 82. And we're kind of uh, in a couple places. Okay. I'm doing the true crime and I'm sitting here trying to think what states we're doing. Tennessee, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, North, North Carolina. I think, I think that's, I think that's it. Well, my paranormal is from Tennessee. Oh, yes, 
there, there she is again saying the state with an accent <laughs> that one i know because we live really close to where this was taken place. oh cool cool, yeah. cool 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 right outside of clarksville well this was a very interesting episode yeah, left more questions than it did answers. Yes, it did. All the way around. I'm yes, still stuck in the room with the locked window and the locked door. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, you're still stuck in the room. Yeah, we're still recording the episode. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> what were you about. talking about, Mom? <laughs> I'm still stuck in the beginning with all these dang crimes you told us about. Yeah. Well, it was a good drink. It was a good... Good. I'm happy good. you enjoyed it. Episode... All right, closing out. Resources for this episode will be found on our website, killerhangoverpodcast.com, as well as photos from this episode where you can see this gorgeous hotel. Send us comments if you have any idea of, is it a serial killer or was it different killers? Yes, please. Either email us, comment on a post we make. What do you think? Honestly, we want to know. If you want to email us, it's killerhangoverpodcast at gmail.com. And like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, we will be taking a two-month hiatus. But if you just, just can't live without us, you can join us on our Patreon, which is www.patreon.com backslash killerhangoverpodcast. There's a link to that on our website. There's also a link to that in the description of this episode. And if you need help or guidance to find that link, you can email us and I can shoot you the link as well. There you go. All right, Mom. Cheers to episode 81. Cheers. Love you, kid. <laughs>